Inside every self-made man is a fearful kid who followed his dreams. Our guest today could be described as a modern-day Horatio Alger story. Omar Madrano grew up in Miami, the only child of a single mother. He lacked self-confidence growing up and allowed fear and anger to hold him back. It wasn't until after college and through a series of jobs, he began the process of conscious introspection, which eventually led him to become a successful entrepreneur and now sought-after business coach, mentor, and author. Omar has a way with words and is a great storyteller. You will not only be fascinated by his journey, but also entertained along the way. So please join us as we sit down with Omar Madrano. There are two basic motivating forces, fear and love. When we're afraid, we pull back from life. When we're in love, we open up to all that life has to offer with passion, excitement, and acceptance. Coming to you from our studio in Santa Barbara, California, this is the Fear Me Out podcast. We're not your typical self-help program. Our show takes a deep dive into those psychological issues that affect us on a daily basis. We hope to shift your perspective and have you experiencing emotions differently. Now, here are your hosts, Kim Foskey and Dr. Dana Saperstein. All right, Omar, thank you for being our first guest from the state of Florida. Wow, that, that I'm impressed, I'm amazed, and I'm completely honored. <laughs> so, I want to describe to our audience that, that and, and this is the best analogy that I could come up with, I think you're the modern-day Horatio Alger story. And so that may take up the next 59 minutes and 30 seconds, but I'm going to have you, I'm going to have you explain who Omar Madrano is. Who Omar Madrano is? I, I'm like, I'm like a, a modern-day, a real-life Rocky Balboa. I, I know you know... Rudy Rudiger, I, I'm I'm probably just the same height, but even less <laughs> athletic ability. He he could make varsity. I, I I could only make varsity if like the school was only with like 12 males, and I'd probably be the 12th guy on the bench. No, <laughs> but with all serious aside, I product of the 70s, mom and dad divorced, 1973. I was I was raised by a single mom. She was only 20 years older than me. Mom went to school full-time, went to work full-time, and I was like the complete introvert. And I was just like so filled with fear because one, my mom would tell me, hey, you know what? Your dad's going to kidnap you. Your dad's going to, it's like hindsight now. It's like, mom, he left us. I, I still haven't met the guy. I can only imagine. Don't talk to strangers. Don't do this. This guy will want to touch you. And it was just like fear after fear. None of us were born with fear. It's all placed by our parents, by society. I got to school, Miami-Dade County, public school system. In the first couple of years, I was in ESOL, English for speakers of another language. Now, either they did such an amazing job that I have zero accent, or maybe the simple fact I was born here and English is my primary language. Yes, I'm Hispanic, but English is my primary language. And I rarely spoke. Arnold Schwarzenegger spoke more than I did in the Terminator <laughs> of all high school. You know, it, it, it was just that fear of rejection. I couldn't ask out a girl on a date because, oh, my gosh, the Miami Herald would post this front page article. My whole neighborhood of Westchester would know 
I, I, I was such a loser. I had so much self-doubt, uh, unworthiness. And even my junior high principal said it'd be a cold day in hell the day I graduated college. Now, people say that's a sad story, but I use that to motivate me as rocket fuel. And not only that, he was completely right. I graduated December 21st, uh, 1995 from the Louisiana State University, LSU. Never snows. And like the first time in 30 something years, it actually snowed. And I was thinking during commencement day, I'm like, man, that guy was so right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, I tell my esteemed co-host here, if it weren't for uh, assistant principals like that or your parents, there'd be no use for him. Oh, yeah. But but you know what? So many people want to live in his story or her story. You know, I, I can't blame like my mom. She did the best that she could, you know. And I've I've sat, you know, with a counselor, I've sat with shrinks. And at the end of the day, you know, I get it. But I've been an adult for 30, almost, well, it's gonna be 31 years. I can't blame mom. I can't blame dad. You know, we we hold we have to hold ourselves accountable. I am here currently presently based on every decision that I ever made in my life, the good, the bad, the inconsequential. I have to go look at the man in the mirror. I have to look at my reflection and go, hey, I can't say why me. I I can. I can say, why did I do this or why can't I do that? But, you know, it's all in the past. To me, it's all in the present. What are we going to do now? So from a complete introvert um, at LSU, I learned how to how to sell, how to speak because I joined a fraternity. I left um, here. I left. Miami because it clearly sucked. It had to be Miami. So, and but but you know here I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I could have been with you guys out in Southern Cal because it was always it's better somewhere else. The grass is greener somewhere else. It's I could have been better. in La Jolla. I could have been in Maui. It, it was me. But you know I felt like moving to Baton Rouge was the key to my success. So how did a kid from Miami that was an introvert end up in Louisiana, Louisiana school? It would, it would seem like you'd want to be at the U or or somewhere near home for that. Oh, oh, because I want I needed to go far away from home because all my problems resided here. So now, you, you know, I I didn't realize that once you travel, you know, they come they the baggage comes along, you know, the the introverted, the you know, fear of failure, the the fear of um rejection, all that tr- traveled with me so so you had that you had that feeling as a as a latter teenager that i got to get the hell out of here because there has to be something better outside of where i am oh yes yes and the reason why lsu um i i flunked uh french too in in high school (laughs) and i had to go to a neighboring junior uh neighboring high school to to take the course there's a beautiful girl I could barely speak. So it was like, ah, and she, she kept on talking about Louisiana state LSU. And, um, I, I bought a book, uh, party school book in the top 20 at Walden books. I'm dating myself. Walden books was still around. And I opened up in the first, um, the first school was LSU, Louisiana state university. Shaq was playing. It, it was all good. And, you know, nobody, Everybody heard from me saying, I need to go to Syracuse. I need to go to all these schools. But all of a sudden, you know, I, I told my mom, you know, LSU has the top 
business school, which you know, <laughs> yeah, monkey Louisiana. business school. Did you honestly think it has it top anything? So, so you did exactly what people do when they want to move or go on a vacation. It's like close my eyes, pull out a map, and wherever my finger lands, uh, that's oh, where yeah. I'm going. It, it, it's it's like the the marriage that's on the rocks that they they go away on vacation to go away Vegas, Hawaii. And oh, everything's amazing. Right. But then they come back and it's like, oh no, all the problems are still here. Right. Yeah, I, I just chose, I, I had zero family, zero friends, zero ties to Louisiana. So no uh, siblings in your, are you an only? I, I'm an only child. Okay. So yeah, that complete introvert. Yeah, so what was your college experience like then? You said that you, you, you're away from home in another state, you joined a fraternity, you were in the business school at LSU. Some, some, somewhere along the way, a complete metamorphosis happened for you. Oh, complete metamorphosis. I, I went to LSU, and my, my, well, my first choice was UNLV, but my mom nearly had a heart attack when she heard <laughs> <laughs> Las Vegas. Let's see, you, so, you weren't, you weren't uh, let's see, are you old enough to be there when uh, the whole Greg Anthony and uh, those oh, guys? Oh, yeah, of that, course. Yeah, I, okay. I, I graduated high school in 1991. Okay, UNLV, so, yeah. I think they won 1990, and then they lost 1991 to, right. to Duke. Right, okay. Oh, so, yes. But, um, but, you know, as a kid, they always had those evil Knievel specials and all those specials live from Las Vegas. So it was always like, oh, my gosh, you know, nobody's sad in Vegas. That looks like a cool place. So I, I think that's why I wanted to, to move to Vegas as a kid. Um, no, my, my college experience, I, I go to LSU and my roommate's like a 30-something-year-old uh, graduate student from Costa Rica. And it's like, oh, my gosh. So I, I decided to join a fraternity. But... And, and I've come vice, I, I, be, I become president uh, of my pledge class, but I still don't speak. Uh, well, wait a minute. How could you do that if you're not speaking? <laughs> exactly. They, they see me as a stand-up guy, this and that, but only speak when spoken to. Oh, okay. So, so they, you know, hazing, which is still around, even though we, we pretend it's not, uh, they made me go out. It's a drinking town, number one party mm-hmm. school. So there's no Cinco de Mayo. It's Cinco Drinko every day of in, in, in Louisiana. You don't have to so wait we, for Mardi Gras, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, there, there was no man, there's, there's no need for man-made, made-up goofy holidays by Hallmark or anything. You just drink every day. And we would go out, and my fraternity brothers would make me ask out women. Hey, would you like to dance? Would you like me to buy you a drink? Would you like to go out? Well, most of these women were friends of the fraternity. Oh, okay. So no way. No, no, thank you. No, 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 no. And then there was other women, because, you know, a fraternity, it's a glorified gang, just wear nicer clothes. So if they were bored, they would send me out to, clearly the woman was with a, a date, a guy hey would you like me to buy you a drink or would you like to dance with me and it would be friday night fights and after a while you know for it, it one time it, it literally took me um well it's a funny story i wanted to go out with a girl I, I grew up with and i asked her out like almost 40 years later but but i i didn't have that fear anymore but the fear of rejection the fear of hearing no just subsided it, it became nothing. And then 
the running joke was I would have to introduce people. I'm Omar Madrano. Call me Goose Man because all I all I do is crash and burn. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Top Gun Two is coming out, but yes, so, I would have to introduce myself as Goose or the Goose Man. So the fear of rejection just became so normalized within your conscience that it became a non-factor anymore because that's what the expectation was. Oh yes, yes, and, and from being like that, I, I rose up the ranks. I was the the youngest vice president in the 80 year history of the chapter. I, they, they had me as a so, social director. I was the guy that would go ask businesses for um, donations and I would have a high success rate. So I, I can't, I became a guy that was, Oh my God, to a, a guy that no was nothing. And, and I actually had a high success rate. And I, I although I, I originally did go to the school of business, but uh, I'm horrible at math. So I have, I have two degrees in journalism, mass communications, a, a bachelor's and a master's. So you were the anomaly. You were the honest frat boy, right? So some, somehow people saw that, you know, that there was legitimacy within you and vulnerability within you. And, and you had this honest face and, uh, and I, they, you were, you were believable. I, I was believable and I, I could connect and I, I, I could have, they, they didn't see me as, cause clearly I don't look, look like I'm from Louisiana. Uh, I look Hispanic. I look Latino, especially the early nineties, not as PC. LSU's grown in, in that aspect. A lot of fraternities goon ruined me during rush which means like put you in a room full of the, the dorky people because oh my gosh how can we let a hispanic guy in the fraternity <laughs> but no um they just saw me as, as a wholesome I, I could connect with people i i could connect with um i i became the trusting guy i, I wasn't the guy that would sleep around with people's uh with guys girlfriends uh just just different just and I, I, I could connect, I can relate. And yeah, I, it became, I, I graduated, I should have gone straight into sales, but I didn't, I, I, I was a journalist for a little while, but yeah, I, I could connect with business owners and I got them to donate um, for our parties. It's really remarkable. You're the first person I've ever met who actually benefited from hazing. Oh, um, the, I, the, the hazing, I, I also benefited from in the sense I, I would quit, you know, and but I, I, I got that stubbornness ever since um, my junior high principal told me it'd, it'd be a cold day in hell the day I graduated. Right. Well, uh, one main guy was hazing the hell out of me and he said, are you only here because you can't go back home? You can't go back to Miami. Well, I. It, it flipped the switch. I'm like, oh, I'm going to prove this guy wrong. So it it, it 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 bled into other aspects because my first job after graduating college, uh, I worked at a local Fox um, TV station. And after I was hired, my boss thought I was a multimillionaire because he watched a lot of Miami Vice and clearly everybody from Miami has a million dollar car and, you know, we all live on 
the mansions. So he would always tell me, why don't you quit and, and, and let somebody more deserving who really needs this job go back to your mansion? And originally, I thought the guy just it was a hazing period. Once, once, once he, he learned that, you know, I, I could stick around because he would make me work like Monday through Sunday. And it was salary at $15,000 a year, which is horrible back then, below minimum wage. And I kept on working, working and working, thinking, well, this guy's going to turn. This guy's going to turn. He just wants he just wants to make sure I'm I'm worthy and I'm I'm up to snuff. So, you know, I, I the the work ethic came from that, too. And it between that and my amazing first boss, it. It, it helped in the road of being an entrepreneur. And, th- and this is at a television station that you're talking about? Yes. Uh, so a guy in a television Fox station? 44. A guy in a television station actually believed that the, the narrative of Miami Vice that you were, <laughs> because you're from Miami, yeah. everybody's rich there. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, isn't that insane? It was television. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> well, well I, he was, okay, I was 22. He was probably 40. So okay. Miami Vice, Friday night, uh, NBC, I'm sure he was glued to the TV. Oh, but yeah, yeah I, I mean, uh, and he's friends with me on Facebook, but clearly in his, in his warped head, I know he feels like all this success that I ever had from then on was because I, you know, my parents, I'm, I'm wealthy, you know, because wow. clearly any, who, who, who wouldn't want a $15,000 a year job? <laughs> you know, I, you know, I, 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 it was before Coachella, but you know, I, I, I could have taken the private jet to, to Vegas every other weekend, but you know, I, I decided I'd, I'd rather stick around in Baton Rouge, Louisiana and, and work my ass off for, for a year or so. Right. So when did the, when did the old familiar pattern start changing for you? When you were talking was, about was, the- Go ahead. It was a it was a gradual process because it always goes back. It, it always I always go back to, you know, I th- this is stretching for me. Some people see me as this extreme extrovert, but then it's like you know the gas tank is empty. I, I go back to being the introvert. So if I'm at a party, I remember like my ex wife taking me to places, and then all of a sudden I'm the guy that's, you know, sitting in the corner that's not saying anything, and everybody's like, oh, that guy's such a jerk, or that guy's a dick, or, and it has, it's, it's all about stretching, but it, it, it comes a time that you, I always have to check myself, because those feelings of doubt, of unworthiness, they, they're all, they're always there. So you left, or, or you, how long did you stay in that job in Fox? Uh, I got, I got fired because I took a day off because I wanted to, it was my birthday and I, I took my girlfriend at the time. She, she was at the TV station. She worked there and lo and behold, he hated me even more that everybody wanted to date me at the TV station, Uh but he didn't realize because he told everybody I was wealthy and I was super rich. (laughs) So he set it all up for you. (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly and then he was hating on me because uh, at the time he looked like he could have been on the biggest loser he was already like morbidly obese like 40 uh-huh. year old guy attractive guy i mean good looking decent guy but really overweight and he would always be like 
you probably think I look like crap. You probably think this because, you know, he wanted me to say it. To, uh, and I would always be like, no, no, Mike, you look just fine. God made you perfect. And, <laughs> and I, I don't see anything wrong with you. But no, I, I got fired, even though um, I was always ahead of schedule because I, I, I had I, I did my work. Um, I, I took her to the house of mouse. We spent a weekend, but I, I took an extra day um, and went to Disney world, came back, got fired, but that wasn't the end of it. I, I, I wanted to stay in Baton Rouge. So I became the producer of the Jimmy Swagger show. Seriously. Oh, come on. For real? <laughs> Serious as possible. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> but after, after the, I have sinned. Because that was like in 1988, right. 89. So, like so how did that come about? I mean, was it just one of those things that you answered an ad and and went and interviewed for it, or did you have an in there, or how? Oh, zero, zero in. But I had to do so. You, you have to sign all these illegal things. Yeah. Uh, you know, my body is my temple. I denounce homosexuality. Okay. Blah blah. You know, like hardcore, hardcore, like extreme stuff that was illegal back then. Now it would be like. And I wanted to, and, and you had to sign it and they kept it in the safe, all, all wow. you know, their, their stuff. And I, I, not that I, I wanted to do anything legally. I wanted to show my fraternity brothers because, you know, everybody still lived in, in Baton Rouge and, you know, they, at LSU, it takes like six or seven years to graduate. So <laughs> a lot of them were still students. So I wasn't, I, I, I was probably seen as an outlier. I, I graduated before. And I'm like, can I show, can I keep this? And they're like, oh, no, you can always read it. But um, it was horrible. And um, I'm, I'm Roman Catholic. And Jimmy Swaggart found out. So he first tried to convert me. And um, he, he had my, his, my boss give me books on all Catholics go to hell. Self-published because, you know, and you can't buy these books out. At Borders or, or Barnes and Noble, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then um, after a while, because he asked me, um, "Why am I Catholic if they're all going to hell?" And I'm like, "Well, think about it. If, if my family's already in there, you know, you know, why would I want to go someplace else without them?" Then I don't. Then I don't know anybody. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So uh, it, it got weird. Like he would always have to have my my boss around, even though we we're in the same room, so he could communicate with me. What? He would tell him the message. And then my boss would tell me word for word, like verbatim on, on what needed to get done. And this is Mr. Morality himself. Exactly. Unbelievable. And then, mm -hmm. so how did you tolerate the uh, hypocrisy and the craziness of... Uh... Well, 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 this is... Uh, one is you can't, you can't drink. Because you okay. know, even though Jesus turned the the water to wine, but not not for some evangelicals, not Jimmy Swaggart's church. Well, it was also mandatory since I was the producer. Well, when I'm Catholic, when we do go to mass, which is only on special occasions, it's only like one hour for a service. Well, for these people, it's like four hours on a Sunday, Sunday morning. At the end, hey, donate, just like other televangelists do spirit of tithing the spirit of healing through donating but um it was four hours but it's sunday saturday's lsu football right. everything in the in the south revolves around football so i'm heavily drinking 
And then I would go hungover. And then I would have to listen to that for four hours. And yeah. Yeah. And then my boss would always be like, Oh, you look, you look sick. I'm like, yeah, maybe I need some pot. Maybe I need some NyQuil. Well, NyQuil has alcohol in it. Oh no, no, no. You don't need that. You don't need that. But yeah. And and that, that was the end of my um, journalism career. Although I came back to Miami because those, those thought, those negative thought patterns, I was depressed. They were seeping back in me. And my mom has a bachelor's, but never doesn't have a master's degree. But she told me, if you get a master's degree, that's just as much fun. That's where all the fun's at, Omar. Come back. Go go to the University of Miami. Get your master's degree. And that's what brought me back home. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, wanted, I wanted to relive my undergrad, which, which was the furthest thing from it. So I got to ask two. I got to ask. Go back and ask two questions. One is that obviously Jimmy didn't convert you. To no, his, to no, his not way. not not at all. And, and then how long did you last in that job? Oh, that one unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, uh, six months. Wow. But, but it, it's great. It, it's a, it's a great conversation piece to oh, tell I'm people. Sure. It's a great icebreaker to say I was the producer of the Jimmy Swagger show. Well, he always appears, unless you're evangelical, to be such a despicable human being. That it's just remarkable. Even to me even, that, even in in the movies, like in Great Balls of Fire, and and whenever they have anything on Jerry Lee Lewis, that what you see that 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 was that that was my boss. Wow. And, and you know, I all I remember, and I would tell anybody YouTube the famous "I Have Sin" after he got busted. I, he was on his morality kick, getting yeah. porn out of Seven Elevens, yeah. all that, and then he gets busted with the prostitute with like. Uh, his whole trunk was full of magazines and videotapes. <laughs> a true believer. True believer, for sure. Do as I say, not as I do. It, it, exactly. But but yeah, no, I, I, I love to tell people that I've worked. That, that's not my bio, but but I, it's a true story. Starcom, Swagger yeah. Television, wow. uh, who knows what the rest of the Ackerman stands for. So anyway, you go, so you end up, getting out of journalism, going back home. You went to the U for uh, for a business, master's in business? No, unfortunately point, no? not okay. again because I'm horrible at math. Uh, <laughs> mass communications, even though okay. it's the same same thing. And the head of the department's like, you're not going to learn anything here. Why are you here? Well, I, I couldn't tell him, well, I'm, I want to have fun. But I did. And it, he, it was a waste of time. It was 20-page pages, uh, getting treated like crap by doctors. Uh, one of my fellow students was a successful woman with an MBA, which to me is way higher than saying, oh, I've got I've got a doctoral degree in communications. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, no, I, 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 I it, it looks good. I, I can tell people it's all about the you or, or whatever. So I, 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 mm-hmm. I was going to say, when did the entrepreneurial spirit. Embed it's the entrepreneurial in spirit didn't even kick in after that. Wow. I, um, some, something that I, I I never told anybody. I I worked in the aviation industry. So, I, um, so breaking news it, here. Yeah, first time. Not even my podcast. Not not my book. I was making good money. I was flying up every week to Vegas to to numb the pain. It, it was at a time where you can do that. The airlines were real cheap, and yeah, comps were galore because when you're losing money, and um, yeah, nine uh, eleven happened. Uh, 
I was engaged to um, my wife my, or my ex-wife. Uh, I got fired and I'm like, this was the start of my entrepreneurial career. I, I became a financial advisor for um, a brokerage firm, which I'm good at sales. So I lasted there for a few years and the entrepreneurial spirit really kicked in. Um, and Anthony Robbins coach or sales guy came in to one of our sales meetings and he's like, do you really want to sell more? Do you want to sell? I guarantee you can sell twice as much. It's a good imitation. Just come on down, unleash the power within. Well, I didn't know anything. I, I, I had zero clue on personal development and business development. In fact, my mom, it, from before it was always, it is what it is. People don't change. To this day, my mom calls him Anthony Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> She's never read my book, uh -huh. never listened to my podcast, doesn't believe in personal development, nothing. So, you know, if if if, if he can't swear, I can't. So She's old school. Um, yeah, so I, I do the I, – I, I buy the buy one, get one to impress my wife because she's a big fan of Anthony Robbins. And we did the, you know, the fire walk, the whole nine yards, the three days. And what we got out of it, she was a pharmaceutical sales rep for Abbott and I was a financial advisor. And it's like, why not be our own bosses? And, and that's where it kicked in a little over 20 years ago. And so, go ahead. That was, you said 20 years ago? Yeah, like 2021. 20, I'm bad at, remember, I'm, I'm bad at math. I'm an arts and science guy. So it sounds like it, that, that uh, that's not necessarily what you went there for, but it really uh, turned out that you got inspired to be uh, your own boss. Oh, not only that, but it got me into believing in everything in personal development, business development. It opened up. Uh, it, uh, that's how I got rid of all the, the anger and the living in the past and the resentment and the unworthiness and yeah, yeah, I'm a business coach, but I, I have a lot of the woo-woo personal development stuff mixed in because I've, I've, I've read the books and you know, I tell people either you're growing or you're dying. So, yeah, no, I from, from being a guy that would only read um, fiction, plenty of fiction like everybody else, from that moment, I was knee-deep in nonfiction and still, still a, a student of life. So it it only took that one seminar with uh, with Anthony to to, yeah. get, to kind of yeah. turn your thinking <laughs> a different way. I, I'm sitting here and, and thinking I, I'm not. And you probably, oh, and I was the furthest believe. I was not a believer. I I literally remember asking my wife, "What am I going to do? Am I going to be in a room and I'm going to be crying to a bunch of strangers?" You have to you have to be the self help seminar anomaly, right? Because you know the whole you know the whole premise of the seminar business is right. Just teach you enough to want you to come back to take the next seminar and the next seminar and the next seminar. So oh, he's, seminar. A, he's a business guy. Yeah. I'm not saying he's my guru. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> because I, the emotional self. And that's well, why I'm well, saying you're the anomaly, yeah. right? You had you had a complete change of direction from that, and I think that is a little bit of the beauty of the self help of somebody like you that, that isn't addicted to it and going to seminar after seminar and reading book oh, after plenty. book after book, which is, oh. which is most people that get addicted to self-help, but, but you oh, were yes. like, okay, Oh, wait a minute. He changed my perspective on this and, and I can go a whole different direction. And you had the balls to be able to go do that. 
But I'm also the guy that picks and chooses because that seminar junkie, he goes every seminar. He's in a room filled with like-minded people. Right. He gets the high and then he gets the low once it ends because it's not, you know, it, it's not real life. I'm not going to be walking on coals saying cool moss <laughs> and, and doing the, you know, being in the peak state right. with 2000 people that, that I know. I also know he wants you to do all those programs. It's called emotional selling. And then also you have all these people that drink the guru, I, the, the Kool-Aid, the complete Kool-Aid, the guru Kool-Aid. I know plenty of people. I mean, I love Grant Cardone. I'm a licensee, but there's people that literally walk the walk, talk. To, it's like, no, you're not Grant Cardone. There's only one. Oh my gosh. Anthony Robbins is worse. There's people that become full vegetarians, drink their green drink. Right. They they wear the, the live lucky hat because- mm-hmm. The big man wears it. And, and if Tony Robbins says to stand on your head for two minutes, they'll stand on their head. No, I, what I know is they're great at what they do. And yes, they do help people, but they're no Mother Teresa. <laughs> right, right. Well, you, I mean, I guess you can learn that from Jimmy, Jimmy Swagger better than anybody, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, but, but it's all emotional selling. Whether, whether it's timeshare, whether it's Anthony Robbins, if you can sell somebody emotionally, yeah, it, it, it's a little on the manipulation side, right. but it works. Right. I, I mean, I, I don't do that. But to me, what they're selling is a little different than timeshare. Timeshare, they, it, it's 100% manipulation. And manipulation is when you, you convince somebody to do it and both parties don't get a benefit. It's only one person, the sales company and the major corporation, Wyndham or whoever that's selling it. So it sounds like it's, it changed your wife's orientation toward her life also. Is that correct? She was always a student. Um, Zig, she, she was, uh, she read the Zig Ziglar's, the Jim Rohn's. She was always, uh, she was always level-headed. She, uh, yeah, she's still in business development, personal development. Uh, we still go to, business developments more than personal development because you know we don't have the mommy daddy issues anymore but uh no i'd, I'd say at times I've, I've been more of the I, I have to reflect and go is this because i have daddy issues or you, you know the oh well this 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 guy might might be the savior and, and, and you know that, that's why a lot of people uh, donate to like the, the well it's not an evangelical like joel osteen right right you know he's a good guy he 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 wants to help me he he's prosperity yeah so, except when houston floods and he won't open his church to for refugees <laughs> but, but he's a good guy he's a he's a good guy it. other than that you, you know what joel osteen is jimmy swagger 2020 compared to 1987 right yeah just a different version just a different version way uh same same issues better pr yeah i i knew he was going to survive the houston debacle i I, I knew i I knew he was going to survive when um victoria got into a scuffle with the the flight attendant on first class uh, flying to Aspen because I'm, uh, they're going to Aspen to help out the the homeless. <laughs> 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 
Oh, man. Hey, Omer, when you're talking about your life and the way that you relate to uh, the situations that you've been involved in, it begs the question about your intuition and, and that uh, um, I'm just curious about whether you actively pay attention to your intuition as a, as a guiding force in your life. Uh, it, it depends. There, there's been times that I'm like, Hey, everybody, it's a, this is a hot stove. Do not touch it, but Hey, let, let, let me turn it on for you. And let me show you what happens when you touch the hot stove. So, so it, it's, it, I, I do have my intuition, but then there's times that when I do go back to, um, my limiting patterns, my beliefs, it can sometimes get in the way. Okay. Well, and, and again, Kim and I are, are big on helping people recognize that uh, usually the biggest disasters that we create for ourselves have to do with not listening to our intuition. Oh, completely. Be, be, you, you, that, that gut feeling is there for a reason. Yes. But a lot of times people push way past that because they're like, oh, not this time, not this time. This guy's not here to hurt me. This guy's not here to scam me. But yeah, the gut is always right. And, and there's a reason why, you know, it's a cliche or it's the same, but yeah, your, your instincts, it, it, it's, it's the instincts of me being alive for almost 49 years telling me, you know, don't do this. Don't do that. Yeah. You have, you have the competing conscience and, and intuition on both sides of your shoulders competing against each other. And, and, you know, your conscience and your subconscious are always going to try and override your intuition. And, and for some reason in life, we got conditioned to listen to our conscience more than our, our inner gut feeling. Right. And it's, and, and again, like Dana said, the reason that we wrote our book and the reason that we're doing this podcast is really to, to, to get people to start listening to their intuition as their best navigator in life. Absolutely. 100%. It, it's there for a reason. God, the universe, mother nature, it's it's just it, it's it's the reason why we're still we're still alive. Yes, <laughs> that, that that gut instinct from whether you know we were Fred Flintstone trying to run away from the saber tooth or the woolly mammoth or or whatnot to to right now to you know hopefully not go with the Bernie Madoff and get Ponzied or you know I, I'm sure all those people must have felt like a, that gut instinct. When, you know, the market's mm -hmm. like free falling and somebody's telling you, you're, you're no, you're up 25%, 30%. Yeah, yeah but everybody's down 20%. Oh, don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> next next yeah. year, you'll be up even more. That's why that's why you hired me. It, exactly. Ex exactly. But it, it hindsight's, we, we, we all look at, at stuff like that and it's black and white, but there's people that don't want to see the truth, even though it's in front of their face, like Colts. If you think about it, Jim Jones, mm -hmm. we all laugh about it. We talk about drinking the Kool-Aid. If somebody had said, do you want to go to Guyana? Do you want to go all the way to South America and do that? We'd all laugh our asses off. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 it makes zero sense. The right. heavens gators, the, you know, all that. But for some people, I, either something's not clicking 
or, or they want to see beyond the truth and, and think, you know, this will fix me. The, 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 this one thing that, that sounds crazy is the answer to all my problems. When literally I am the answer to my problems. Absolutely. So we, you had mentioned fear um, early on when we started talking. Um, obviously, you know, Dana and I's premises and, and what we're working on is about managing fear. Um, a lot of what's been talked about in, in popular media, what's written about is, is overcoming fear. And you had mentioned about, you know, how your intuition, you know, saving is there to save your life, right? And mm-hmm. that's what, you know, fear is hardwired into us to, to keep us alive, right? Mm-hmm. And what I mentioned to people when we talk about, you know, overcoming fear or smashing through it or going around it or going under it or going above it is the analogy I use is like you can situationally, but it doesn't work sustainably for you. Right. It'd be like if, and again, there's a lot of electronic cars out on the, on the market now. So maybe this analogy isn't as prevalent anymore, but it's like taking the, your uh, carburetor out of your car and expecting mm-hmm. it to run fine. Right. It may run fine for a block or two before you're actually going to need the tow. And, and so this was the thing about overcoming fear to us is it's like taking the carburetor out of your car. You just can't, you can't rewire your body. It's innate in, in all of us. And, you know, if you're in Hawaii and your friends have all jumped off the cliff into the ocean, they're all yelling at you to do it and you're petrified with fear. And, and yeah, granted, you may succumb to peer pressure and close your eyes and jump, but good chances you're not going to climb back up that cliff and do it a second time, right? So... You had oh, talked correct. about fear holding you back and in, in, in not only in growing up, but in your early adult years as well. And, and I'm, I'm kind of interested in how you finally embraced fear um, in your life and, and how that has led you to, you know, more success and joy and fulfillment in, in what you're doing. Fear is always there. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, if if we had a cure for fear, we'd we'd be selling it more than a Pfizer Viagra when it yeah. when, when it first came out. Right, it factors into ninety nine percent of our decision making, whether we're uh, cognizant yes. of it or not. Right. Yeah, it's 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 fear based. Usually, we do decisions to run from fear, run from pain, then run towards like a goal or a reward. It's it's that fear within us. You you spoke about Hawaii in my book. I I talk about on my honeymoon in, in Hawaii. I I can't swim, I, even though I grew up in Miami. And, <laughs> we won't we won't judge you. <laughs> and and my wife booked a, um, a snorkeling excursion. You. And you, you jump into the unknown, right? You know, watching plenty of movies. I, I'm almost 49. So I've seen Jaws a million times. I can I swim? No, but I, you know, I can doggy paddle. I can pretend, but that fear kicked in once, once I jumped in, I, I nearly drowned her and they had to throw those like floaties. Good thing. No, there was no smart, um, phones back back in yeah. back 20 years ago because I'm, I'm sure it would be like it'd be a <laughs> yeah. video sensation right now it, it exactly so yeah no no fear is 
how do I, how do I, I just deal with it. You have to go past your comfort. You, the, the, the fear, fear of public speaking. I, I just spoke yesterday to a commencement for uh, at risk high school kids that graduated. And, and I, I felt that fear right before, uh, you know, do fear of fear of flying. I, I, uh, if, if it gets if, now, if, if it's minor turbulence, I can sleep through it, whatnot. But if it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, flying out of Colorado during the winter or flying in and there's major turbulence. Yeah, it, it still scares me, or especially when my two teenage daughters are on because, you know, I, I've lived a full life. But it's like what what happens? What happens? You know, if their life is cut short fear, you you just you either have to you either run away from it or to me you just you just use it is like you look right next to you and it's, it's like that companion I, I use it as my companion you know and I, mean, I, I just use use it to push forward I, I I use it as my friend now would I go rock uh, jumping off a cliff in <laughs> Mexico or Hawaii hell no <laughs> that that's a fear of mine but but you know if if i had to because you know there, there's always you know the benefit to risk you know if, if bob barker's like come on down omar <laughs> you know you do this and you know you, your life is set yeah I, i'll i'll do it but you know if it's if it's to go on the insta and and TikTok videos, I'll be like, no, thank you. I, I don't, you know, it's not for me. So you, I, I, I pick and choose. I, but yes, I, I'm still the introvert. I, I, I can still be socially awkward at times. I, I was socially awkward at the gym last month because just some random woman's like, oh, I know you. And she's like, oh, I, I heard your podcast. I'm like, Oh, cool. <laughs> and, but it was like unexpected. And she, she had that look like, Oh, that guy's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not very friendly, huh? Yeah. That's the problem with being an introvert sometimes. Right. You, you've, you've right. Had, yeah. You've, we're, we're under, we're so misunderstood. Exactly. It's like, because they don't believe, they don't believe that you're, you're yeah. a functioning introvert. No, and especially since she heard you on your podcast, right? And, and yeah, oh, yeah, because you know, what women that have gone out or my ex girlfriend would would be like, oh, you know, I, I want that guy that that's on the podcast. I want that guy that's in the video. I want that big personality that I hear every week. Exactly. Yeah. Where is that guy? Well, you know, I, I, I that's not who I am 24 seven. I can't be, that's not who I am. I'm not the guy that you, you know, the party doesn't start until I get there. That's just not, you know, and and a lot of times people think introverts are are like, like rain man, like, like, like some guy that's high, high functioning in some aspects, but you know, can't hold a, a conversation. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. It's just, it's not in us to be out there to, you know, the life of the party. Right. So what do you think about the notion that Kim and I present that uh, one of the most effective ways of dealing with fear is by being connected to your intuition and allowing it to sort of guide you through whatever 
whatever the fear is kind of uh, holding you back from or, or moving you toward from? Oh, yes. Um, you know, it, uh, other people call it street smarts, whatnot. But mm-hmm. yeah, the, the closer you are to going by intuition, the happier you will be. When, when you go out with that woman that has all those red flags, but, you know, you, you take the narcissistic approach that, oh, I'm the hero of the day. I'll change her. I'll change her. Things are going to be different. I, I see the red flags now. But trust me, this was meant to be. And like six months, seven months, eight months later, the guy's crawled in the fetal position, crying, watching Hallmark movies, being all upset, reading Nicholas Spark and Notebook. <laughs> and, and stuff like that. It was like, well, your intuition said not to. Right. But the ego, because we also go a lot by our ego, because, you know, hey, I'm different. I'm going to change her. Right. Yeah. You know, those other guys, th- those were jerks. The, the reason why she's dysfunctional was those guys. She hasn't been with a guy like me. Right. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because as a therapist, I do a lot of counseling with people at the end of their relationship. Um, and I ask everybody, you know, did you ever have any feelings or, or, uh, or, or, you know, any sort of an intuition that the problems that ended your relationship existed in, at the beginning? And, and the most remarkable thing to me is that nobody has ever said no. Every single person, and we're talking about hundreds of people at this point because I've been a therapist for many, many years. And so my next obvious question is, well, what were you thinking? And usually what I am, uh, what I met with is what I call magical thinking, right? And that's exactly what you were just describing. Uh, I thought he would change. I thought she would change. I was lonely. I just figured it would get better. It's, all, it's some sort of a magical belief that you convince yourself of so you don't have to deal with what's right in front of you. Oh, yeah. I, I could say the same for my ex-wife and I. Yeah, we we almost lasted 20 years. Oh, opposites attract or, you know, we were for that. That's some movie cliche. We had zero in common. There, there, there was signs that we would clash. We were arguing and fighting like, at, well, not the first date, probably the third date. <laughs> <laughs> Even our honeymoon. Yeah, we were arguing and fighting and, and it was like was there signs there were signs from from the very beginning but then it was like well even though well we got married at caesar's palace and that was expensive we would have had to tell 30 or 40 people you know don't come to the wedding you know it, it's all this irrational stupid stuff now i, I have zero regrets because i have two amazing daughters from it but yeah there's always signs Every, that that didn't surprise me and it, it, it's it's that saying well it, it's hard work to to stay married or it's hard work to be divorced that you know those memes it's hard to do this to be fat or, or to be skinny well why why does it have to be hard shouldn't you be with somebody that you connect that it's not hard a lot of times people get into relationships because i can change them Things are going to change. I, I can feel it. Oh, she's going to change. Or mm-hmm. I, I always wanted to date this woman, blah, blah, blah. 
five years ago, six years, you know, whatever stupid story. And you continue, even though you see your, your guts, like, Oh my gosh, you better get out of this. But you know, you're, you're thinking, you're, you're thinking irrationally, you're thinking with your ego, you're thinking, well, you know, she's drop dead, dead gorgeous. What about the 200 likes I, I might get with my neck? You know, people have, I know it sounds stupid, but there's so many, who knows what our, everybody's ego has like, such crazy stuff going on. It, it isn't stupid. It's unfortunately realistic. I know, but we laugh, but it, it uh, because it's, it's true. Right. That, you know, oh, she's, she's beautiful. I, I you know, uh, she's out of my league. We, we create all these goofy and, and it's both male, female. It, it doesn't matter. We, we come up with like the wacky reasons, even though our intuition is like, Hey, there's, two million other women in the surrounding area that aren't dysfunction that don't spew toxicity why are you here yes absolutely so or i'm curious can you tell us a bit about your podcast and what you do with it and 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 uh the type of people that you interview and so on and so forth oh definitely my my podcast is is a business podcast but it's not a business podcast it's like me. It does not fit in any one box. It, it's it's what if it did work? It I I interview everybody famous, the infamous, the people that wish they're famous, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, uh, gym owners. The sky is the limit. Just to see, we all have. There's a common thread. What if it did work? Everybody's fallen. But we all have to get back up. We all have to deal with adversity. A lot of times people stick to the sidelines. Oh, I'll take action once, you know, I'm planning on taking action. And that's just fear mm -hmm. right there. They're not planning to doing anything. You know, a lot of people are fearful of taking that first step, whether it's a relationship, a real relationship, not a toxic one whether it's a business, it's a side hustle, whether it's finally losing weight, whether it's investing. So many people are on the sidelines and what happens is they stay there and the worst pain of all is regret. When regret hits, it, it hits like a bomb because you, you can't change that. You can be too unhealthy. You can be too old in life. So that's why, why can't we do whatever you want to do now? Do something. I mean, I'm, I, I'm create. I'm writing my obituary. I'm creating my legacy. I was born July twenty fourth, nineteen seventy three. I don't know when Saint Peter. I don't know when the Grim Reaper. I don't know when whomever it is that's going to say, "Hey, you're not going to make it," you know. But I want that person to say, "You did so much with what you had." It's a great philosophy. So you you had a, a a really good career as an entrepreneur, and, and, and maybe you still are doing entrepreneurial things. I believe you did some uh, franchise business that that did really well. I I got involved with the Smoothie King franchise, right? But it was all based on the motions. It's a company based out of wait for it. Louisiana. So I, I, I had See, it, was, it was always in your destiny. Louisiana was in your destiny. The universe yes. had a plan for you. Yes. I, you, two highly educated people going into the QSR, quick service restaurants, mm -hmm. 
just based on that's where I went to school. I felt an emotional connection. Business should never be emotionally driven. Does that mean if I went to Michigan State, I'd be a little Caesars pizza owner, a franchisee, or if I if I went to UConn, I'd be a Subway guy? That that that's the the mindset. You know, it, two of us, if we had to choose different paths, probably would have been service based insurance. Uh, clearly, if I was successful at, at selling mutual funds and stocks, I, I could do that for myself. But instead, it was it, it, it was that I, I was a Smoothie King franchisee for almost 20 years. Uh, today literally is the anniversary of the day I, I signed my papers to sell. Wow. OK. Last year. Mm-hmm. So what possessed you to write a book? which I think you've already made, which you mentioned the title of, but I don't, I think we kind of glossed over that. Oh, what if, what, what if it did work? Uh, because I always felt, everybody always told me, write a book, write a book, write a book, a creative writer, journalist, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm not that good. I'm not, who am I to write a book? And I was always into fiction growing up. So I, I couldn't be the next Stephen King. There's no Stephen King. King. And then, um, <laughs> the, or uh, Chuck Palahniuk, he's the guy that wrote the Fight Club. Mm-hmm. And I wrote that, I read that. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, well, true. I can't be Stephen King. I can't be Chuck Palahniuk. I can't be Mark Twain. I can't be all these different people, but I can be the best Omar Madrano. So, it's interesting that the title, what if it did work? Um, when you thought about actually authoring a, a, a book, do you already have kind of the premise in your mind of what that book was going to be and, and what the outcome you were hoping to get from that book? Yeah. yeah the outcome I, I got self-published one. I, who, I, I don't believe in filler. I didn't want to write a 300 page book, 260, 270. Just, just a handout as your new business card. Yeah. It, it, it's a business card on steroids, but right. my, I, I decided my true purpose was to help out people. If that book helps out one person, two people, three people, and it changes their life, it shows what a guy, the possibilities, what I did, from to get from point A to who I am today, and it, nothing special about me. I'm not tall. I'm not, <laughs> it's, you know, I, I'm not Doogie Hauser. I, you know, I didn't score 1600 on the SAT, 30 on the ACT. Yeah, I, I wasn't born wealthy, you know, like like what my ex boss thinks. Yeah, and it it, it, it it's it, it's it's a lot of action steps too every chapter you have to do some some work so and then at, at the end i i opened up a non-for-profit church and i told people to tithe give me 10 percent and, <laughs> and then for salvation no that that last part's joking but yes um you're a business coach and and there's probably some people listening here that are, that are in business and maybe contemplating hiring a business coach or had hired a business coach before and thinking, boy, I really like this guy. You know, he has this wealth of experience. You know, he's positive. 
Um, he's, he's extremely knowledgeable. Um, what type of business clients do you normally work with? Business clients, there's two types. Those that, oh, shit. Uh, the, the last guy, he hired me after he lost $150,000 business. He bled out last year. Um, within 100 days, 2022, I had him at break even. He's cash flowing positive now. I, I've got either that or those that just want to start out. Uh, the first client that I ever had, I was a Smoothie King entrepreneur, and, and he was a guy just turned 50, uh, felt like he was at a crossroads with his life. His net worth was only $50,000, and that's after he liquidated everything. And he hired me, and we created an exit strategy and he signed, he sold his businesses four years later, a couple of months ago. So he went from 50,000 to $2.2 million for his businesses. Very cool. And, and you talked, uh, when we were talking earlier, you were in the process or at least writing or thinking about a second book. What's that uh, going to be? about? Uh, the, the second book it's entitled the vacation CEO. And I, I got that moniker uh, from my first publicist, but also a lot of people would, cause they love social media. Right. And they would see like five years worth of um, pictures of my ex-wife and I with our daughters going like on a Mediterranean cruise or, Caesar's Palace or Alaska and Hawaii. And they're, you're so lucky. You're so lucky. You're always on vacation. You're like the vacation boss. So that's where the vacation CEO, they didn't see all the years of the Monday through Sundays. You know, mm -hmm. we became overnight success. And it, it was just that. And, and the book is entitled The Vacation CEO because a lot of people want to become entrepreneurs because they think, well, I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to have a lot of spare time. Yeah. A lot and of autonomy, right? Yeah. And then what happens is they don't own a business. The business owns them. Mm -hmm. It's like that 40 year old son that never leaves home. You know, a, a complete burden. It's always and there. Just, yeah. And just the book is there. The, the book's a guide in the process on how to create an exit strategy how, how to leverage, um, how to scale your business, how to really own your business and not the business own you. It sounds, I mean, that sounds completely appropriate in this day and age now where, you know, uh, the world has changed a bit in terms of how, especially younger people are viewing jobs and, and staying in jobs or going to offices. And, and again, not everybody can be an entrepreneur. But, oh, uh, no, I, I and I'm the first one and, and people get shocked. Not not entrepreneurship's not for everybody. And that's OK. You 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 can find success. You can find happiness in the corporate level for working for someone else. Not not one hat fits everybody. Right. It's, it certainly sounds like that you put some realism into your your books and, and your coaching in there and, and, and don't mince words. No, and, and that's I'm I'm not here to try to sell ice cream. Either you love me or you hate, hate me. But you know, I'm I'm going to be blunt. I I'm going to be honest. The that what if it did work? 
the podcast, the videos that the free videos that I give, it's it's all it's all real. You, I, I'm I'm the ghost of Christmas present, and <laughs> unfortunately, the ghost of Christmas future. That if you don't get off your ass, if you don't do something with your life, you're going to be you, you playing the violin and playing the soundtrack for Titanic because you know, well, woe is me playing victim. Right. So, Omar, if, if uh, the people listening to our podcast would like to contact you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, they can either go on my website, omarmadrano.com. Uh, I'm public on Facebook, Omar Madrano. Uh, Instagram, omarmadrano73. I'm public. You can friend me there. Uh, I've got a free group, uh, What If It Did Work? It's the name of the podcast, but also on Facebook, you can join free videos. I never pitch. I never sell anything. And it's videos every day, um, posts every day on how to get your mind, your body, your spirit right. And also business tips, how to market and whatnot. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure we put that all in the show notes, including your, uh, your web address and, and uh, Instagram and all, all your social media stuff. So if anybody can't remember from the, the verbal um, piece. Oh, and I, I do. I'm, I'm like the uh, um, patron. I'm like St. Jude, but instead of the patron saint of lost causes, uh, lost entrepreneurship, I always answer any DM as long as you're not trying to sell me crypto or, <laughs> or forex trading. Or your Judy Swagger looking to reconnect. <laughs> well, well, yeah, he won't. Or, or uh, Donnie, his son took over. Oh, there so, you go. So if, if, if you're, you ever have any free time, you can always watch them on uh, TBN. And I think they have their own uh, cable channel on oh, direct TV. <laughs> so, so Omar, I want to end this, uh, this conversation by asking you a question that, that you kind of answered before in terms of writing your own obituary, but I, I'm interested in, in really the legacy that you want to leave. What, the whether, legacy? Yeah. Whether it's to your children, whether it's to your oh, clients, yeah, whether it's to the world, you know, what, a lot of us, you know, is, we've had some success in our careers and some success in life. You know, you start thinking about those things of, okay, if, you know, I'm not going to be at my funeral, but what are people going to say about me? Oh, oh no, no, completely. My legacy. I, I decided I was in control of my life. I'm the master of my life, the creator of my destiny, my legacy. I want two things. I want Lauren and Mia, my two daughters, ages 16 and 14, go, he was dad. He was my father. He was an amazing guy. He did the best he could for me, and he, he was always there for me. That, and when people do come up at my funeral, I want them to say he genuinely cared about people, and he helped people. He didn't see people as a end to the means or way to the means. And he didn't check us like if we were a checking account. He helped us whether we had the money or we didn't. That's the two things. An amazing dad and the guy that was always there to help out whomever and whenever. Very well said. Yeah, and I think it's it's completely believable because that's the impression I got from you from not only speaking to you before, but also in this last hour here. So, Omar, thanks again for being here. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. We appreciate our listeners and are interested in your comments and suggestions. 
feel free to email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor for this podcast, please email us at fearmeoutpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Thank you.